it was a good, nice, and hot week. I kind of joked my family's in town visiting today. Uh, it's my daughter's birthday tomorrow. She'll be six. And I grew up in Suffolk, Virginia. Anybody been to Suffolk, Virginia? A couple of y'all. One little very excited person's been to Suffolk, Virginia. I joke and tell my mom and dad, I will never come visit you from May to September because that is the most hot, humid place. And I got used to living in Lynchburg, and even living in the Middle East is somehow more bearable than Suffolk, Virginia in the middle of July. And I think they brought it with them because it has been a hot, humid past couple days. Before we go into Scripture, there's something that I kind of like to do. Um, it's, I don't know, maybe a weird thing, maybe not. But when something's on my mind, kind of, not really a confession, but when something's on my mind, I like to let people know. And r what I want to let you know is this is the first time I've stood in front of an English-speaking congregation in several years that wasn't giving a missions update. You know, the times I have done it has been our work in Israel and and I have gotten to preach several times, five or six really, in Israel um, at our church in Tehran. And I know at least one of those members, uh, our dear friend who we love and miss so much, Gianna, is watching right now. And it's a huge encouragement to me to just know she's out there because, oh man, what a blessing people are in your lives. But so I'm a little bit nervous and I don't really get nervous. I kind of usually am very collected, but I'm used to standing here while my, my buddy Salim stood here and I'd hold a mic and I'd say a sentence and then he'd say that sentence in Arabic and I'd have a minute to collect my thoughts and so I would have to have five pages of notes to preach for 40 minutes because I had to write down every single word because I'd forget what I started saying by the time he translated it from English into Arabic and then my mind's thinking about the Arabic and then we're back at zero so I am excited to kind of, I feel like I'm off the chain right now. You know, I don't have that microphone holding me down. It's on my ear. It's all in English, which means I, can, I got a pretty good grip on it. And so I am excited to be here. One thing that is almost an odd thing, again, but I want to share. I have felt like for years now, I've had a Bible in one hand and a rock in the other. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. I want to explain it. Spiritually speaking, overseas is a tough place. It's hard. It's, man, it's demons been rooted in there since the beginning of time. It's not our hometown religion. It's not Christianity that thrives. It's Judaism. It's Islam. It's everything really but Christianity. It's the Baha'i. And so while not a literal rock to fight people with, but this spiritual always being aware of what feels like attacks coming and so you kind of get used to walking around ready you know like almost a sense of nervousness and then then I came back to the U.S. and realized it's gone haywire here it is almost no better here than what I was dealing with but thankfully we had the united church here we have a body of believers that will stand will fight and will present God's word and all truth and holiness. And that's what we're doing here together today is standing and sitting and worshiping online together in faith because there is a vast number of people that don't want this to exist. Not us as Calvary Baptists, us in our beliefs they don't want. So that is my moment of confession, my excitement to be before you today. 
I want to explain the title of the sermon, Stone by Stone. That comes from a couple different things. Thing one, we're going to talk about persecution today. Bit of a touchy subject right now. A lot of people feel they're in that bracket, and we're going to address some of those issues. And what better way to talk about persecution than by thinking about stones? This was the primary way persecution was carried out on the daily basis to Christians back in the days of the Bible. They would just get angry, pick up a rock, and hit you with it. You know, it's not like here where you have to actively search for a rock. There's rocks everywhere in the Middle East. It's rocks everywhere from Greece to Antioch, on up to Turkey, down the coast of Israel, down into to Egypt. There are rocks everywhere. One misstep and someone throws a rock at you. So that is one of the reasons for this. And another reason is I'm a music person. And there's a band that I like a lot, and they have a song called Stone by Stone. Name of that band's War of Ages. I don't think any of y'all are probably listening to them, but they are a Christian band. And it's just uh, that song kind of kept resonating through me this week. And I'm going to share one more confession with you. I didn't want to preach this sermon today. This is not how I wanted to start off my time with Calvary Baptist was having to talk about persecution. I prayed, Lord, I don't want this sermon. Not yet. You only get one chance at a first impression. It's going to be an impression. This is not where I wanted to start. And I kept trying to move off of it. I said, now nah, I'm going to, I'll go over to First Peter. Peter's, he, he's, he's a little less in your face. And then now nope, I loop back here. I said, now nah, I'm going to hop over to the Gospels. Everybody loves Gospels. And I kept coming back here. So it's of utmost importance for me that we address this scripture today. And, and our objective is to understand the position and, and the promise of the wake of persecution. What is persecution? And by the way, if you want to talk back or just yell out amens or whatever, just don't throw rocks. I am good with that. And because uh, I, like, I like knowing you're still out there. So what is persecution? Well, as Leroy read for us in 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul starts to lay out in verse 11 where he met persecution. And he starts off speaking about, in verse 11, we're going to come back to verse 10. It's wonky how I did that, but I'll fix it. Uh, My persecutions and sufferings that happened in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. This is very important that Paul points out these three areas. Just a heads up, Paul is writing 2 Timothy. He's in jail. Okay, so it's not like he's huddled up somewhere drinking a cup of coffee saying, hey, let me tell you about some stuff I've dealt with in the past. He's sitting in a Roman jail. He is basically, he is waiting out death at this point. We know he's cold because also here he mentions, when you come, could you please bring my coat and my books, which sounds like a guy in jail. And so he's dealing with persecution right as he's writing this letter to Timothy. But these three places he is writing about because they were part of his first missionary journey. Uh, there's a chart and a graph in most people's Bibles. If you can find it, look at it. It's interesting. But starting in Antioch, I'm not going to flip and read all these verses. Instead, I'm going to tell you about the verses. You can write them down and look at them later. In Acts 13, verse 45, we see the religious Jews of the time are stirred to jealousy by Paul and his preaching there. In Acts 13, 50, the religious Jews are stirred up again to persecution and drove Paul and Barnabas from Antioch. You ever been driven from a place? 
Anybody? It's not fun. I've been driven from a place. It is not fun whatsoever. But it's, it's eye-opening. By driven, that means they had rocks, spears, swords, slingshots, anything that might hurt you, and they're right down behind you making sure you leave. And I have had, I've been in communities where people walk right down behind me making sure that I was leaving their community because they had, had just about enough of me there talking about Jesus. And then we see in Acts 14, verse 19... Paul is in Lystra, and the religious Jews came from Antioch, from Iconium, and they stoned Paul, assumingly to death. They thought he was dead, but we know Paul was not dead. Paul miraculously just stood up and went right on his way. Have you ever really entertained that thought of being stoned to death and just standing up? I mean, again, I know it's hard. We're thousands of years past the days of really stoning people. They're still throwing rocks everywhere else in the world, but we've kind of gotten past throwing rocks. But God, in his infinite love, just allowed Paul to get up. And I've always wondered, I scratch my head and I think about it, did Paul feel it? Have you ever thought about that? Like, did Paul feel the rocks hit him, and then he feel his body just get healed? Or was it kind of a, it was just time to stand up, and he just stood up. Uh, there's one in Fox's Book of Martyrs, if anyone's familiar with that, there's one particular martyr, and I cannot remember the name of it because I wasn't planning on bringing it up, that he was going to be burned at the stake. And several of the other priests had said, if you don't feel any pain, let us know. Try to clap and let us know. And he's burning. I mean, the guy's just, it's bad. And I'm not going to get into the extent of it because it's super graphic. But at one point, he's finally, you know, they tie you to the stake to hold you there, but the, the ropes are going to burn through. And he's standing by his own power. The ropes have burnt through. And with less than all of his original appendages, starts clapping with his arms that he doesn't feel the pain. And it, I, I tell you this because persecution's coming. No matter what, no matter what we want to believe, persecution is coming. Will we feel it? I don't know, but I know that it's coming. Did Paul feel it? We don't know, but we do know that it's coming. And it doesn't matter if we physically feel it or not, because it is coming. It is promised to us. Why is Paul recalling these events? Paul starts off in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me. And he goes on again into Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which, who does, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Why is Paul telling us this? Whenever we read our Bibles, it's always a good habit to get into is say, okay, why? Now, every word of the Bible is valuable, and it even goes on to say that at the end of chapter 3, that all scriptures are God-breathed and valuable. However, why is Paul recounting this? Does Timothy knows? We got, we got first Timothy, for crying out loud. You know, he's, he's got a letter before. Why is Paul pointing it out now? Well, again, Paul's in prison, and there's something about Timothy that makes this particular shout out, if you will, to be very, very unique. See, Timothy's from Lystra. Timothy very likely did not grow up a Christian. No one was really growing up 
Christian at this point. Some did, but it's very possible that, you know, we, we know there's a conversion in Timothy's life. Well, Antioch is only 90 miles away from Lystrum, and Iconium is in between Antioch and Lystrum. We don't know how much Timothy was aware of Paul's sufferings on his first missionary journey. To make matters more interesting, there's the Via Sebeste, which is the imperial road. And this in particular road was built by Emperor Augustus in 6 BC, and it connects Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra together. 90 miles, that's three days' journey. On a paved road, you might could do it in two. Could be done, I guess, in one. I don't know. I hadn't really looked up how fast you can get a, a wagon from point A to point B before. But what I do know is, is we can almost be assured that Paul and Timothy's paths may have crossed in Lystra. At the very least, that's his home, that's Timothy's hometown. And he would have been aware of what was going on. But it, it could have happened that Timothy could have heard of what happened in Antioch and could have traveled to Iconium. We don't know. It's not really important, but what is notable is how accessible these cities are to each other and how we do know, it says it right here, that the, in, or not right here, I'm sorry, in Acts, I think it's 14.2, no, I'm sorry, it's 14.19, that the, the angry religious Jews from Antioch traveled all the way down to Lystra and they were going to finally take Paul out. That was the stoning. They missed their chance in Antioch. They missed it in Iconium. They would hit that point in Lystra. So this is important to know that Timothy could have actively known of this persecution. This persecution could have led to Timothy's conversion. We don't know. But what we do know is there is no doubt that this persecution that Timothy would either witness or be made aware of would make a great impact on him and his life. In verse 10, which is where I told you we would come back to, Paul writes, however, you have followed my teachings. And that word follow really kind of hit me. You know, like it's followed my teachings. That, that's not typically how we would say that. We might would say studied are familiar with, etc. But followed my teachings seemed a bit odd in English to me. So I, I dug out my, my Greek concordance, and I'm like, I got to know more about this word followed and why Paul would use such a word. And sure enough, my suspicions proved to be true. The word follow or know could be in your Bible, to know or to follow, in Greek translates more specifically to carefully investigated. Now that changes things a little bit when you read that verse that you, however, Timothy, have carefully investigated my teachings. Timothy was not a dummy. Timothy had every reason to just let Paul walk and not deal with this, but instead Timothy chose to carefully investigate all the teachings but not just the teachings, all the conduct of Paul, all of Paul's aim in life, all of Paul's faith, all of Paul's patience, all of Paul's love, all of Paul's steadfastness, and all of Paul's persecutions. Timothy carefully investigated these things. And I'm, I'm pointing this out because are we not called to carefully investigate every word in Scripture? 
and odds are pretty good the vast majority of Christendom throughout the world, or at least throughout the United States, will get up, read a devotional, read application, shut it, and that is absolutely the end of the day for Scripture, right? I mean, if we're being honest, that's what a lot of us do, and and if we're being even more honest, we can say it's, it's hard to get up every morning or evening or middle of the day and make God the priority, to make God's Word carefully investigated. You know, uh, so far, I've been conducting an experiment for years. I like, I like experiments. I like controlled results, and I also like the what-could-it-be results. And I always ask people, how is your quiet time with God? And then they'll answer. I'm like, no, 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 let me ask. Let me, let me back up. How often do you just sit and pray? No, no praying the Lord's Prayer, no reading Psalm, no Bible, just sitting and maybe just praying. And boy, that answer starts to change quick. And, I, and it never fails. Don't conduct this experiment among each other. Conduct it somewhere else. Ask people how much time they spend in their Bibles and how much time they, they spend in prayer. And if they don't feel it's enough, they will instantly offer the reason why it's not more. You know, well, well, the kids get up at 8, and, you know, I got up at 745, and then the kids stopped me. And then and the kids get a little bit over. Well, you know, it's, we had to get up and had to get to baseball practice and football practice, and then they get a little bit older, and it's like, well, my kid's a teenager. I have to, you know, not threaten to kill them every day, and that takes all my time. And it just, it's my point that I'm making with this. You have a lifetime of excuses that we can lean on. We all do. A lifetime of excuses from all the way down to I don't know how to read, which is where my kids are, all the way up to, well, I can't physically see it to read it anymore. And what I'm pointing out with this, if you are not carefully investigating the scriptures, then this next part we're going to talk about is going to be hard for you because it's going to talk about persecution. And if you're not ready, if you've not carefully investigated, if you've not made it your mission to understand what Jesus has said, what the epistles have said, what the Old Testament has said, then there's no earthly way you are going to be prepared for the persecution that lies ahead. Persecution's hard. It is not fun. I mean, you ever been picked on just as a kid? No one? Somebody's been picked on here as a kid. Okay, I say, I'm going to hear some grunting, some groaning. I don't care how you do it, but I need to know someone's been picked on as a kid. And if you haven't, I'm fixing to pick on you right now in front of everybody. And then I'll re-ask that question as an adult, and it's going to go far worse. So we have all at some point been picked on as a child, alienated. And if you can remember any one time in your life, boy, you did not handle it well. Especially as a child, you know, you, you, you got your self-esteem you're dealing with as a young teenager and teenager, and we just don't handle— you remember just being sad from being picked on or just confused. I was sitting on a school bus one day, and a guy walked by who I knew. Like, I didn't know. We weren't friends by any means. But he just walked by and spit on me for no reason. I was in eighth grade. That's pretty big, in my opinion, to be spit on. But he just walked by and spit on me. He just didn't like me. I don't know why. I didn't speak a word from about seven years old till about 25. I mean, I did speak, but like not in front of people. So now this is me making up for a lot of years and not talking. I did not speak in school. My teachers would forget I was there. But this guy just walked by and spit on me. I am 37 years old, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember what color T-shirt that boy was wearing. 
And that was not what I would call persecution, but it certainly hurt my feelings. And if hurting my feelings can stick so many years, how much more will persecution stick with us? So, we're going to now move into part two, which I didn't tell you we were in part one. And I just entitled, uh, titled The Future, verse 12 and 13. We've now established that Paul is letting Timothy know of his faith. Timothy has now investigated the life of Paul. Paul has reminded Timothy of his sufferings, not in a boastful way, but as a reminder because of what would begin in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you want to live a godly life in Christ. If you don't want to live a godly life in Christ, you effectively got up this morning for no real good reason, got dressed and brushed your hair, which is my least favorite thing that I have to do on a Sunday morning, and came in here and are wasting your time if you are not desiring to live a godly life. That has to be our desire. Now, if you're saying, well, I want it to be my desire and I'm not there yet, well, I'm coming to you in a few minutes. We're going to get there and we're going to do it together. But there's something that's stuck there. Again, verse 12. Indeed, that word indeed, all who desire. Now, desire is a heck of a thing, right? Do you remember anything you've actually desired in your life? I kind of started thinking about what, what have I desired? And it's like everybody goes to the default, well, I've desired my wife or my husband or my kids. Okay, yeah, you desired that. But I tried to think of it in a bit more practical. I'm like, what's an what's earthly substance that I've desired? And it kind of hit me, well, I'm desiring a truck right now. I hadn't had a truck in a number of years. I'm back in the U.S. I think I'd like to have a pickup truck. And um, yeah, amen. So I, I desire it every day. I say, Lord, anything but a Ford, I desire. And, uh, but I'll drive that too if you gave that to me because I'm in my point of desire for a pickup truck. And um, I went to the, the hunting and fishing store with my dad yesterday, and I desired a whole bunch of stuff. I had aisles of stuff I desired. But that word desire, we don't really use it. Right? I mean, do you ever, can you remember the last time you used the word, I desire X, Y, Z? It's really not how we speak. You know, maybe you do. I don't. I'm not that philosophical. So when I read a word that I don't use in my daily life, I always, again, I stop because I go, that is odd to me. I need to understand it. So we got some Greek coming up here. I really like Greek. Just a heads up. I'm not going to make you suffer through this very often, but periodically I will because it means a lot to me. So again, I dug out my Greek dictionary, my Strong's Concordance, and I started. It took me nine hours to get to the, the answer to the question I was looking for, which is this Greek word to desire. And sure enough, that word right there is not used the way we think it's used. Because when we say desire, I desire, we think of what we want, right? Right? That's what we want. But the way that word is most commonly used throughout the New Testament is what God wants. Well, this changes everything. So if that word desire, the way that Greek rendering is given to desire to wish is most commonly used with God's desire or wish, then that means we can look at verse 12 and go, it's God's desire. It also means God's best offer. Now it just got real heavy. God's best offer is what that Greek word really desire means. That's God saying his best 
offer to us is that we live in Christ. That best offer that we live in Christ means we'll be persecuted. Now, God didn't accidentally do this. That word's not accidentally there. I'm really, I cannot stress enough how you need to examine Scripture, fall in love with Scripture, because it is so rich. I remember being a kid and hearing people say that and going, what are you talking about? It makes no sense. And then the older I've gotten, the more I've realized God is no dummy that has to write write it in black and white for my feeble mind. Really, God is the master, author, and creator that gives us the richness of his scriptures for those that will read it in the deepest mud hut in Africa all the way to those that would read it at whatever educational level you want to be part of. But that word desire, God's best offer to us. Again, the result will be persecuted. We'll be hurt. You know that whole thing, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt me? That ain't true. That guy never got picked on. Words can hurt you a lot. But this won't simply be just words. Verse 13. I like verse 13. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, to give you the whole context, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I like that because I've, I've always heard that in my life, you know, we'll go from bad to worse. And I actually never really put two and two together that whenever mom or dad was quoting that at me, they were quoting the Bible, and, but that's what they were doing. Why are we surprised when evil goes from bad to worse? I'm going to guess the last five months have been surprising. It surprised the heck out of me. You know, I told my wife the other day, America's not doing a good job trying to get me to stay. You know, they are just not on top of their game. I can't go and sit in a restaurant and eat. I can't turn on any news. I have deleted all social media. I can't handle it. I can't handle anybody right now. It's an election year. Everybody's angry. I can't handle a social media outlet where you can write down however you feel and then for whatever odd reason I feel compelled to read it. I can't handle it. I'm out, okay? I can't stress it enough. I can't handle it. But why am I surprised when it goes from bad to worse and evil just gets meaner? But we are. We're not used to it, right? I mean, in your life, we've seen um, the U.S. go through a lot of changes, but it seems like we went through a lot quick. You know, viruses, you know, the anger that stemmed from any type of social injustice to the anger that stems from who the president is or who anything is. It's just gone from bad to worse. So here's the question. What's going to be your attitude in the face of persecution? This little political stuff that's happening right now, this tip of the iceberg, this ain't nothing. By Paul's definition, this isn't even persecution. Now, this is when it starts to step on a little bit of toes. And I don't mean to step on your toes as much as I mean to just simply tell you the truth. If a man's writing from jail, telling me about the time he got stoned to death, and he's calling that persecution, me maybe having to not like what's happening politically or socially or where I can eat and where I can't eat and if I got to cover my face, maybe that's not persecution. Maybe that's a momentary discomfort because I am not in jail. 
And unless one of you takes this message really bad and waits for me in the parking lot, I don't think I'm going to get stoned today. I think I'm going to make it out. I'm not confident, but I'm fairly I take that back. Y'all saw me jump, you know. The rock was coming from that side, you know. I'm going to calm down because I don't know what God's trying to tell me there. Maybe nothing, maybe something. I don't think y'all are going to get me, but again, I'm slightly jumpy. So we have to address what is persecution, guys? What are we dealing with? Are we simply just upset or are you actually being persecuted? I've heard so many people say they're taking away our rights. Yeah, I get it. I do. I love the U.S. as much as anybody. I'm very proud of my country. But you have a right to be persecuted, according to Paul. You had a right to be put in jail. You have a right to bear whatever cross Jesus bore because he did it first. That's what you have a right to. Now, I know we have a constitution. We have a wonderful way it's written. It's, it's a preserved document that stood the test of time. That was written by a man. And let me tell you, that was a fairly good group of men as far as I know. I don't know them a lot about them, but what I do know is they aim to put God in, as much in that constitution as possible. But boy, it couldn't even turn one of these pages. This page says you'll be persecuted. Those documents say we're going to do our best not to. But your American rights don't mean a thing in the world because your American rights ain't found in this book. We pray. We fight to preserve, certainly. We want prayer widespread throughout our nation. I want to share a quote with you concerning what we need to be doing in the face of what's going on right now. I'm not going to call what's going on right now persecution, because I do not believe it is. But we are called to have a response right now. And this quote is, Where the peaceful hour is broken by the pounding tumult quake and all is torn asunder, what we thought could never break. When all your saints come marching through hell for heaven's sake, pray for our country. That's a pretty good quote, isn't it? That's by Old Crow Medicine Show. It's a bluegrass band. And it's a, it's a very good quote. You're going to face persecution. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. You're going to face it. What are you going to do in the face of it? What is going to be your response when things are stripped away and constantly being taken and you feel as though you have no way out, that everything you've known as normal has been gone down and reduced to a rubble? You have to pray. And let's go one step further. If you, you don't have to flip there, I'll read it to you. If you flip over to Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12, it's the Beatitudes. It's my favorite things Jesus ever said are contained in those Beatitudes. So you will hear me reference it a lot. I love everything that Jesus said, but the Beatitudes are something else. Right here, starting in verse 10 in chapter 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, blessed are you, while others revile you and persecute you for all, and do all kinds of evil against you and swear falsely on your account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to tell you right now, if the prophets got it, you're going to get it. Jesus says our response in persecution is to rejoice and be glad. Is that where we're at right Okay, I figured it out. It's me hitting that. Got that fixed. Are we rejoicing and being glad in our momentary afflictions right now? Again, this ain't persecution yet. This is just frustration. 
This is, I'm hot, I'm tired, I just want to go out and eat. I'm tired of everybody being sick. I'm tired of people throwing stuff. Everybody just calm down. That's all this is right now. Are you able to rejoice right now? I'm going to guess. Here's just a guess. And if it doesn't apply to you, God bless you, because you're better than me. You've probably complained in the last week about this little bit of affliction. I have. I complained yesterday about it for about an hour. Maybe longer, I don't remember, but at least an hour I complained about it yesterday. Jesus calls us to rejoice when true persecution comes. If you're struggling or unaccepting of this persecution that's guaranteed, then that means you're unaccepting of what Jesus has told you is coming. If you're unaccepting of what Jesus has told you is coming, then effectively you were unaccepting of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's three tiers there. If you can't handle what Jesus promises, the good and the bad, then maybe you haven't accepted who Jesus is. Christ makes it very clear in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Because he's calling you to persecution. He's calling you to suffer. He's guaranteeing it. And God bless him. He gave us a heads up that it was coming. And he also told us how to deal with it, to rejoice. John Calvin says, those who wish to be exempt from their persecutions must necessarily renounce Christ. And I'm not going to quote Calvin a lot, but I like that quote. If you are resistant to the sufferings that Christ has already bore way worse than you ever will. You are resistant to the gospel. So, are you prepared to suffer for Jesus Christ's name? Are you prepared to face real persecution? And the last question I have, and then I'm going to go into a prayer, and we're going to close up. And if you need to talk with Pastor Bobby or Pastor Andy, if God's put something in your heart that you need to get right with God and you need a pastor to pray with you, we're all here and ready to do that. But are you, re are you ready to rejoice in that persecution? Do you know what rejoicing in persecution looks like? That looks like God going, thank you, you did what I asked. How much more can I ask from my Lord than to be proud of me suffering for his namesake don't go pick a fight i knew a guy he'd go pick a fight don't pick a fight but be ready because our days are absolutely numbered when we will be called to be persecuted for the name of christ i noticed yesterday my dad always tells people have a blessed day he told four people yesterday and they all four stumbled over their words and replied have a good day as well and what I didn't know was were they unwilling to say the word blessing back or were they just not used to people talking to them because this is the weird world we're in? I don't know. But what I can tell you is you are going to be called, called to defend what you believe, to stand on the name of Jesus, to be persecuted for it, and to suffer righteously. Will we do this? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much to know that we will be persecuted. Lord, you loved us to the point of telling us what would come in our future. And Lord, may we do this with a joyful heart. It's such a hard topic to understand, to, to be hurt, but to, to rejoice, to be persecuted, and 
possibly physically hurt, but to keep a positive mind of this is what you desire from us, but God instilling us the vision to see the long road, God, that your cross sits at the end of that road, your persecution you endured for my sake. And Lord, may I be willing every day to suffer what need to be suffered for your namesake. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.